The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 122. Psalm 122, and looking at the joy of God's people gathering, the joy that we experience when we gather. Um, and I also just, as you're doing that, I want to just, just put this in your ear so, and, and I highly encourage you. Today we had a, a Q&A as we've been doing for the last several months during this uh, stay-at-home orders quarantine thing. Um, and it's been awesome. Some of you have been joining us. We're going to continue to do that every Wednesday at 1230 to 1.30, uh, answering questions. And it's been great the last few times because we've kind of set the table with some discussion to begin with, and it led into some great questions. And today in particular, I thought was one of... Um, one of the more uh, fruitful, encouraging, challenging, necessary talks. And so if you weren't able to uh, watch it, find it on Maranatha.tv. Uh, you can probably find it on Facebook Live or in the archives if you scroll through or the Maranatha Chapel. But I encourage you, at least, at least watch the first 30 minutes, maybe before we get into some of the questions, but you can do that uh, a bit later. And also, this would be the time we normally do announcements. I don't have too many for you at the moment. Other than uh, I know uh, high school and junior high are going to be gathering shortly. And so if you're a high schooler or a junior hire, pay attention to your leaders. If you're a parent, uh, pay attention to the emails. They're going to be communicating to you. Uh, we're gathering this weekend. And church be praying. Uh, you know, if you were paying attention, the, the, the governor's order out of California had a 21-day window of these kind of severe restrictions that we are under currently as we gather, and we're praying that those get lifted, and so we can get rid of the whole stupid ticket thing, because I hate it. We all hate that stuff, so hopefully that'll be gone even for us maybe next week. We don't know, but be praying uh, for that, and then this would be the last weekend that we're kind of under this, and we keep going forward. Also, as you see that we did not receive our tithes and offerings like normally uh, we would at this time, but you can continue to give digitally or online or mail and checks. And as well as there'll be some agape boxes for those of you who want to participate uh, in that way on your way out. Well, also, just for those of you who are online, like we do every Wednesday night as a, as a church corporately on Sundays, the first Sunday of the month, we take communion, but on uh, our revive service or during our revive service, we take communion weekly and we're going to do that tonight. And so just to let you know, if you want to prepare some things or get ready for that a little bit later. Psalm 122. I almost want us to read this out loud together, but we have different versions. So, uh, David writes this, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Can I just stop there and get an amen? Amen. amen. Verse two, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set. The thrones of the house of David pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that we can gather this psalm that we are reading tonight, this declaration that we say so often, tonight, Lord, we are experiencing the joy that David 
describes to us the joy of saying to one another, let's go to the house of God together tonight. We are in your house here physically. Those who are joining with us online right now, we thank you, God, the joy that happens when we gather to worship you. Speak to us now. Remind us what it means to be the church, what you have called us to do, who we really are. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, this psalm has never meant more to me than it does right now. It has never meant more to me than it has the last several months. It was always a psalm that I liked. In fact, it was one of the first uh, verses uh, in French that I memorized when I was a missionary and I would say it to the church in French. I just always have loved this verse, this idea that the joy that happens when God's people come to the house of the Lord, this overwhelming joy that David experiences as I was getting ready this morning, a friend of mine who's a missionary in Ireland tweeted out an article from a, a British newspaper. It was an op-ed essay by a young millennial Christian gal, and she wrote this. And I'm just going to share a few things because she expresses very eloquently what many of us are feeling and have felt. She said this quote, and I'm just going to read a few excerpts out of a great essay. She says, I don't sob when I see my friends over a video call. I don't ring when I ring my mom. Again, she's British. I don't even lose it when I Zoom with my little nieces aged one and four and clock their gummy smiles and chubby limbs that by rights should be flung around me in a cuddle right now. She says, yet for some reason, every Sunday night at, quote, church, the new live-streamed digital version I attend from my bedroom, I cannot contain my emotion. It just comes pouring straight out of my tear ducts like a burst pipe. It might seem a bit unusual, she says, for a millennial to cop up to being a Christian and a practicing one at that in these days of secularism. She goes on a little bit later to say, church was just something I did on Sunday night, unthinkingly, unappreciatively. It was only once I couldn't sit in a room with those people, sing with them, pray with them, laugh with them after the service. Only once everything was stripped away and I felt a gnawing hole in my gut then I started to fully understand the scope of those relationships. A little bit later, she closes and she says this as she's not yet able to regather there in England. She says, I can't wait for that, uh, for, can't wait for most of all that first quote unquote normal service back with my church family and all their dazzling, diverse, brilliant, and very occasionally infuriating glory. That first time I step inside the building, which feels so much more than just a building, and catch each eye and grin and maybe even a hug. That first time we lift our voices high, so high the music swells up and bursts out of the doors and onto the street for all to hear. Because we are here and we are alive and we have missed each other desperately and been missed in return. I read that, I was like, yes. She captured, I think, the sentiment, the emotion, the thoughts so many of us have had. So many of us are experiencing perhaps tonight, maybe for some of you tonight, this is your first time, you know, resuming in-person gathering. For some of you who gathered last weekend or this past weekend, I can't tell you how many said they were just, they weren't expecting the tears that they experienced when they came to the house. The Lord is like, I, I, I didn't expect that. It caught them off guard, this emotion that just kind of overwhelmed them. When they realized and they felt the supernatural presence of God, there's something distinct, there's something different, there's something unique that happens. Listen, when you and I as brothers and sisters, when we leave wherever we've been scattered and we gather together, God does something special. 
Amen. I know tonight I am preaching to the choir because you're here. You know? I know I'm preaching to some of you. You're going, man, I wish I was there. And listen, my job is not to try to make you feel guilty. Maybe I'm preaching to some of you who are like, no, I'm going to stay in my PJs for a while. I really like this. No, I'm preaching to you. That is not the ultimate place where God has you to be. We are meant to gather together. I think all of us would agree that we could have never imagined a time in our lives in America where we would not be able to physically gather. Never in a time in our wildest imaginations would we imagine a scene like we are experiencing now where we look out, it's kind of dystopian, you know, like, oh my goodness, we're mad. Like, it's just, we could have never imagined. And we know the history of the church during times of prosperity and persecution, the church gathered. We know what our brothers and sisters endure in different parts of the world as as many of them experience threats against their life and they have to huddle up and they gather in these places. We, We know that, but we never thought it would come here. We never thought that there would be something that would prohibit us from gathering. But like I mentioned, the church has always gathered in times of prosperity or persecution. They've gathered in great cathedrals and they've gathered in catacombs. They've gathered in backyards in magnificent buildings. The church gathers in living rooms. I never thought they would gather in Zoom rooms. <laughs> but that's what the church has done. And on one hand, I'm so thankful. I'll be honest. I am thankful for technology. I'm so thankful we can live stream. I'm, I am thankful for that, that the, the message and worship is going out into all different places that we could never have engineered before, but God knew. And yet at the same time, I have been very very much aware, I have been absolutely reinforced of the essentiality that you and I, the body of Christ, is meant to gather. Physically be in the same room together. There are things that happen when the the body of Christ, the family of God, comes together. Listen, the church of God is more than a gathering, but is never less than a gathering. Gathering is not simply something the church does, Gathering is at the essence of what the church is. And we're going to see that tonight, that God has called us out to be a gathering, to be an assembly. We're going to talk about that tonight. In the same way that a husband and wife is still a husband and wife, even when, you know, one of those spouses might be deployed for a six-month tour of duty. There's a physical separation. That's not a normal thing. That's not a, a time of great flourishing. They're still married. And under these very unusual and abnormal times, we've still been the church and we function as this church because the church isn't just where we go, it's who we are. And yet at the same time, we know, no, husbands and wives are supposed to be together. We are supposed to be together. And we can imagine the joy of that husband and wife when they reunite after that tour of duty. That's the joy that David's describing when the people of God come into the city of God and approach the temple and the house of God. That's what you and I are meant to experience. That's what we're built for. That's what we're called to. And I pray tonight we learn the responsibility, but also the privilege and joy of gathering. And I think for a lot of us, we took it for granted. We, we kind of showed up when we showed up. We, we thought we'll go here and then we'll check it out later. But all of a sudden we realize when things are taken away, how important they really are, right? When you can't have something, it's like when you, you realize, oh, I really need that something. And I think for all of us, we realize, no, we really need the gathering of the church. There's something supernatural that occurs when God's people assemble in God's house when they come to seek his face. And so I pray tonight we move from that, I've got to, to I get to. I ought to, no, I want to. 
And so that we leave here and, and we come out of this time and it, it, these last two months and we realize no matter what may come, because if we never imagine this, but something else may come. But if it means we have to meet in a literal catacomb, we'll say, praise God, I'll see you there. That's where I'll meet if that's the only place I can meet. If that's what it's going to take, I will do that as, as long as I can gather and worship and be the church. So we're going to look briefly at the historical context of Psalm 122. I want to obviously exposit, just talk a little bit about it, but I also want to use that as a springboard to kind of talk about a bit topically of why we gather and just kind of the nature of the church. And again, I'm just going to reinforce what many of us believe. I'm going to perhaps convince some people, well, I'm not really sure. Uh, last, a couple of weeks ago, I have a little confession uh, before we physically gathered together. It was a Sunday morning and uh, Daniel and I, we had filmed and we did the service the night before and was being live streamed that morning and we went surfing. Shh, don't tell anybody. So it was the last Sunday morning before we gathered and we ran into some people from the church and they're like, hey, what are you doing? You're supposed to be on TV right now. I'm like, well, what are you doing? They're like, well, we're going to church. And they had their iPad and they were going to watch it down at Solana Beach. And as we were talking about that, I'm like, yeah, we're going to gather next week. Somebody walked by, this is church. And I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> you know, and that's a, that mentality. A lot of people have churches wherever. No, the church is where the body of Christ is at all times, but also when we come together. So the historical context, we read here at the beginning of verse one, it says a Psalm of Ascent. And many of you know this. What are the Psalms of Ascent? These were the Psalms that were sung as the people of God made their way to the house of God. God had required, in fact, it says it here um, in verse uh, four, that it was decreed for Israel. What was the decree? The decree was this. The decree was that God mandated, he required that every Jewish male three times a year would present themselves in Jerusalem before the presence of God. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel, for I will cast out nations before you. I will enlarge your borders. God says, I'm going to bless you. I will prosper you. No one shall cover your land. I will protect your farms and your houses when you leave them. No one will touch you as long as you obey. When you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. These three times were during the Feast of Passover, Pentecost, and the Fall Feast of Tabernacles. Three times a year, every Jewish male was required and every Jewish person was invited to come. It wasn't like the women and children had to stay home. They were invited, they were allowed to and encouraged even to participate, but the men were required. And so these songs were sung as the, the people who, were, who had been dispersed throughout all the land, all the way from Dan to Beersheba, the Bible says, as they gathered from the four corners of Israel, they made their way together, all the different tribes, and they would sing these songs. They would prepare their hearts. We're going to the house of the Lord. And this is one of those Psalms that David writes. And David writes it from a firsthand experience as he looks around and he sees the people of God, the tribes. He describes, you know, the different tribes of Dan and Reuben and Gad and Naphtali, of Judah and Benjamin and on and on as these different tribes, brothers and sisters who hadn't really seen each other in perhaps a year or six months, they gathered together and they are talking to one another. David says, I was glad when they said to me, there's this idea that, hey, let's go. Maybe some of you tonight, you texted each other this week. Are you going to be there Wednesday? Yeah, let's reserve your spot. Are you going to be there? And maybe that's what some of you did. You said, I'll see you there. Hey, let's go to church together. Some of you are going, yeah, that's exactly what I did. Well, that's what David was saying, let us go. I was, sad, was glad when someone said to me, hey, it's time to go. Passover's here, let's go. 
And so they make their way to the house of the Lord. And so David is describing this joy. I was glad. And that word glad is like, sometimes like, I was glad. No, the, the Hebrew is like, I was overflowing with joy. It's a strong word. I am reminded of the scene in, uh, in uh, Chronicles, First Chronicles 15, when David, if you recall, brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, where there he set up the tabernacle, where he made plans to build the temple. And when David made his way, there was David with the linen ephod dancing and singing. There was celebration. There were cymbals crashing. There was such joy at gathering in the house of God. If you remember, David is dancing, the king. He's like, I'm going to get undignified. And his wife's looking down and she's judging. And David is just experiencing the overwhelming joy at the presence of God being established there in the city of Jerusalem. And this is what he's describing for us. You know, it's funny as I was thinking about this scene and just as we've been the last several months uh, on Wednesdays, Pastor Daniel and I going through the Psalms, we've been reading a lot of Psalms. One thing has struck me uh, is this, is how exuberant and I would even say loud and even boisterous, the worship is described for us in the book of Psalms. And if you read it, I mean, literally read it. We're, all of us here, we're Calvary Chapel. We take the Bible serious. <laughs> we do take the Bible serious. Sometimes I wonder, do we really take it serious? Because when we read the book of Psalms, listen, I... I grew up in, in a Pentecostal church, so I saw a lot of tambourines, a lot of dancing and stuff. All that I've experienced in my life, and many of you have probably experienced different types of church services. If I'm honest, I don't think I've ever experienced a church service that is described for us in, in Psalms. You know, symbols and, and loud shouts of joy. Anyway, that's my little come back to this. That that's what David is, he's just feeling the overflow of joy of coming to the house of God into the presence of God of people who have been disconnected, uh, you know, physically from the Lord and physically from one another gathering together. They gather together, it says here in their text, they come to give thanks to God. They thank God for the harvest. They came to pray. They prayed for the peace of Jerusalem. They prayed that the city would prosper, the people would prosper, that God would bless. They prayed for the upcoming harvest. There were so many things. It was worship, it was sacrifice, it was thanksgiving, it was prayer. It was the people of God, listen, centering themselves in the presence and at the presence of God. That's what we've come to do tonight. That, that's so much of what the church is and what the church does is we come and we gather and God established, there's this rhythm and flow that we see in the nation of Israel. There's the same rhythm and flow that all of us experience as the people of God. It's this idea that we are scattered and we're gathered. Well, I should say we're initially gathered, then we're scattered and then we're gathered once again in this, this rhythm that takes place over and over again. And for Israel, it was on this big macro level, three times a year, and there was months in between. But for, for, for us here in the New, as New Testament, New Covenant believers, we, we, we're meant to gather and scatter on a much more consistent basis. But we do just that. And the fact is that we are gathered to be a gathering for Israel, it was the farmers, the seamstresses, the blacksmiths, the stonemasons, you know, the artists, the public servants. They, they were scattered all throughout Israel, the people of God, and yet they came as one people to worship God. Folks, we're gathered to be a gathering. God designed his church. He designed his people. He designed his family to assemble, to meet, and to meet often. We use the language here often, and Pastor Ray says that the kingdom of God is family. Families are supposed to get together. Families are supposed to meet. Families are supposed to do life together. Services aren't just something we attend. They're not just something we do. Listen, a meeting isn't just a part of a church. The fact is that meeting 
is essentially the essence of what a church is and does. God has saved us as individuals, but we're baptized into one body. We're adopted into one family. We're called throughout the scriptures, brothers and sisters. That's family language, family that is meant to be together. And this is not just a New Testament concept. Listen, from the very beginning, this is how God wanted it. He desired it. You have tribes, you have families, you have this idea of his people called an assembly. When the law was given at Mount Sinai, uh, we read this in Deuteronomy 9.10. The Lord gave me two stone tablets, Moses is uh, speaking here, inscribed by the finger of God. And on them, all the commandments of the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain of the fire, listen, on the day of the assembly. The day of God's people gathered together at the base of Mount Sinai. It was literally called the day of the assembly. In Judges chapter 20, verse 2, and 1 Kings 8, 14, and many other places, the people of God are oftentimes referred to as the assembly of God, when they would assemble together, when they would gather together. Now, one of the points I want to make here is in, in, in the first century period, the predominant Bible of the day was something called the Septuagint. How many of you ever heard that term, Septuagint? A lot of pastors, when they want to sound smart, well, the Septuagint says. And some of you are going, yeah, the Septuagint. You're like, yeah, what the heck is the Septuagint? The Septuagint simply was this. It was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. During the first century, everybody spoke Greek. Very few people spoke or wrote or could read the Hebrew language. And so the common language of the day was Greek. And so there was a, a Bible translated into Greek. It was called the Septuagint. Now, this word assembly, the day of assembly, when Israel was assembled, they translated that Hebrew word, which our English word is assembly, they translated it into the Greek word ekklesia. Some of you are going, hey, I've heard that word before. Ecclesia, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How many of you know what that word church is in the Greek? It's what? Ecclesia, exactly. So when Jesus chooses a word to define what the group of his followers will be, he didn't say my, my followers will be a building, they will be a legislation, they will be this. He chooses the same word. No, my followers will be a, an assembly. They'll be a gathering. And we've spent time this last year, we had a conference talking about this. You and I as a church, we are the ecclesia. We are to be permeated, salt and light in our communities. But let's never forget that the idea of ecclesia is that we are, in fact, an assembly. We are meant to gather. We are meant to gather often. We are supposed to be together. What does the New Testament teach us? And I'm just going to share a few verses, a lot of things that I could share and discuss tonight, but a couple of points. First thing that we see is that churches regularly gather. When you read the New Testament, when you read the letters to the church of Galatia or Ephesus or Colossae or Thessalonica, all, it's obvious that this church was a church. It was an ecclesia. It was in the community, but they were meeting on a consistent basis. Paul writes to the Corinthians, first of all, when you come together as a church. So he's describing an event. He's not simply referring to them in this verse as the church, though there's other verses that in fact do that. You are the church. But he says, when you come together as a church. So he's describing a distinct event that the gathering is something that actually physically happened. And when we read the the New Testament, we realize it happened often. They they met in in large groups, they met in small groups, but the fact is it was a distinct event. Secondly, a a church assembly is a distinct event 
Paul goes on in Corinthians 14 and says this, what then, brothers, when you come together, not if you come together, but when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up or for edification. He says, when you come together, when the church gathers, not if, but when, these are the things that are supposed to take place. What? Why? So that you can be built up. Again, he's talking about a, a distinct event that we gather and something distinct happens that doesn't happen the rest of the week when we are in our homes by ourselves being the church. Third thing, even large churches met as one body. Even large churches met as one body. Now, they certainly met from house to house. We know that. A lot of the churches that we read about in the New Testament were, in fact, house churches. We read, oftentimes, Paul says, to, he's, he's referring to somebody, to the church that meets in your home and meets in your house. And historically, for the first century or so, it seems to be that most church gatherings happened in somebody's home. They baptized in homes. They took communion in homes. They did all of the sacraments in homes. And that's, that was the, the building that they physically gathered in. But we also know in the book of Acts that they gathered all together. We know at least 3,000 and eventually many more gathered weekly. It says in Acts chapter 5, verse 12, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And so for everybody out on Solomon's porch, you guys are the most biblical of us all. They were, they were together in Solomon's porch. And so weekly they would gather because there was no place big enough to house the gathering of the first century church on the book of Acts. Remember, 3,000 got saved. And then many more were being added daily, but they wanted to be together. So a church our size, when we're fully packed out here, we can maybe get about 3,000 squished in here. And Solomon's porch and the, the physical place there on the Temple Mount area, the, the whole church, the very beginning church, they would gather together and they would worship and they would hear the apostles teach and their instruction. Again, this is, I'm just telling you, some of you are like, yeah, I know this, but I'm just reinforcing, maybe exciting. Look, this is what we are supposed to do. Fourth is this, the Bible instructs churches to do ministry, listen, that can only be done by meeting together, teaching, admonishing, and singing to one another we're called to encourage one another, to spur one another on, and so many other one another's of the Bible. Colossians 3.16 says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing who? That was weak. I know there's only 100 of us in here, but you can say who? one another. Okay. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing uh, with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We're singing to the Lord, but we also are meant, do you realize, to sing to one another? That's what the scriptures tell us. We sing, we always say, oh, I'm just singing to the Lord. Yes, of course. But we also are told when we sing, it's also for each other. We sing to one another. We, there's something that happens, obviously, to the Lord. We give our worship to the Lord. The, the point I'm making is we have fallen into this Western trap that we are so individualistic. We think it's only me and God. It's only me and God. And yes, God saves us as individuals, but he places us in a family. He gives us a kingdom assignment that we're not just simply for ourselves. We're meant for others. And the whole language of the church, if we really read it and listen and obey it, we realize, oh my goodness, I have a purpose. And it's not just for myself. It's for everybody else. It's, it's for the whole body to be built up. And so even our worship, our singing, our psalms, they're for other people. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and verses 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We get together, we're like, man, keep going. We get together and we share, what did you do? Oh man, I, I got to witness to this person. Oh, that's so cool. Me and my friends, we went down and we were, we were working in the rescue mission and we got to serve the Lord. And oh, that's cool. I want to do that. And when we get together and we talk about what the Lord has done in our life, that spurs us on. It doesn't make us feel guilty or, or we're trying to compete with one another. No, we're like, wow, that's amazing. I want to do that. And we pray for one another and we say, man, I see God's hand on your life. No, do you, no I, think, I think you should teach. No, I don't. Yes, do it. Step four. We encourage and we spur one another on so that we build one another up. He says, it goes on, the writer of Hebrews says, not giving up meeting together or forsaking the assembly, as some of the versions say, as some are in the habit of doing, but listen, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's what we're called to do. We don't forsake it. We don't, you know, treat it as a light thing but we are meant to encourage one another all the more as the day is approaching. Guys, we're in the last days, the last days, all the more, how much more should we be the church gathered together, living fully? There's a lot more things I could point out. Spiritual gifts, how do we exercise our spiritual gifts? You know, the gift of, of prophecy, the word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Now they happen, it can happen supernaturally, naturally throughout our weeks uh, as we kind of live our life, but also as we gather together. Jesus says to lay hands on the sick that they might be healed. And that can certainly happen outside these walls, but there's something powerful that happens when we are able to come and say, I need prayer, I need healing. And we go, okay, I'm gonna trust what Jesus says. And in faith and obedience, I'm going to do this. On and on, and I could use more and more. We're to confess our sins one to another that we might be healed, James says. Church discipline happens when the church is gathered together. There's so many things and you realize, oh, to be the church means, no, I'm not just this lone ranger, isolated Christian. The Bible knows no such person. We are meant to be together. Gathered, scattered, and gathered. A church is more than a gathering, but it is nothing less than a gathering. The church gathered is who we are tonight. It's who we are this weekend. It's who we are in our growth groups. It's who we are in our men's and women's fellowships when we come together. The church scattered is who we are the rest of the week. The church scattered is, is you in the classroom teaching. It's you in the restaurant as you manage. It's you on the sports field as you play with your friends. It's, it's you, you know, in the homes as you are constructing. It's, it's the church scattered is, is you in the banks. It's you in working the public officials. That's the church scattered. That's the work of the ministry. The church gathered is where we get our saltiness again. You know, sometimes we lose our saltiness out there. We've got to come back together to get our saltiness, you know, back up. We've got to get equipped for the work of the ministry. And that's the gathering. But then we get scattered. We get sprinkled. We get sent back out. Listen, the church is the blood-bought people devoted to the Lord and one another. God's people meet. God's people are meant to gather. We don't simply gather to hear a, a, a speaker, though we do. We don't simply gather even for an experience, though that often happens. We eat together. We live together. We pray together. We cry together. We serve together. We confess our sins to one another. All these things are, are part of what it means to be the church, the family of God. When you come to church, it's a place you go not only to be taught, not only to receive counseling, not only to be shepherded, but listen, you go according to what the New Testament says to teach, to give counsel, to do, uh, to admonish and spur one another on. We come together, not just for ourselves. And if you only come for yourself, church eventually will be boring. Some of you are like, man, church is boring. Well, if you only ever come for yourself, eventually it will be boring. 
But if you come and you gather, whether it's a growth group, whether it's a men's, whether it's a Wednesday night or a weekend service, if you come not only saying, Lord, speak to me, but if you come, Lord, use me. Like before you ever get on the campus, you know you're gathered, you're excited, and you're saying, God, use me today to, 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 to be a vessel where the Spirit of God can manifest a, a word of encouragement, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, that I can lay hands and pray. You come like that in church, it'll be a whole lot more fun because you're expecting something to happen. You're, you're saying, Lord, use me. And there's nothing more exciting than to be used by God. And some of you are like, oh, you've never done. Listen, just when you get the opportunity, just go up to talk to somebody. How are you doing? I guarantee you see somebody by themselves. And when you reach out and do that, they are going to be thankful that somebody saw them and heard them and notices them. And, and you might be a little intimidated, a little bit nervous, but you just say, hey, how's it going? Hey, oh, yeah, it's okay. But if you ask in sincerity, well, well, can I pray for you? And that person's going to go away blessed that God saw, God heard, God heard them. And you're going to go away blessed. Like, I couldn't believe that. And your faith is going to be built up. C.S. Lewis says this. I always love dropping a great C.S. Lewis quote. He says, Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. We are carriers of Christ to each other. It's easy to think the church has many purposes, education, building, missions, holding services, but the purpose of all those purposes is one. The church has no other purpose than to draw people into Christ to make them like little Christ. If they're not doing that, then all the cathedrals, missions, sermons, even the teaching of the Bible are simply a waste of time. That's the whole point. That's what we're meant to do. So in conclusion and kind of wrapping this up and moving us to a time when we will corporately take communion together at the Lord's table. Why does this matter? Listen, when we come together, we make the church visible to each other. Tonight, as we gathered, some of you are seeing people you haven't seen for a few months. When we gather together and we look around, we're seeing people that we love, that we care for, that we've prayed for. We're seeing people that were like, oh, yeah, that guy's a little tough, I know, but we know them. I know, you know, even though they might be a little irritating, there's still this, because the Holy Spirit, there's this affection for. And so when we gather together, we look around and we see this kind of family reunion. If some of you have ever been a part of a family reunion, you know there's always that time when everybody takes a picture, you know, and you, and you look, about, look at it later and you're like, oh, yeah, there's the family. When we come together, we are presenting the church to ourselves, to one another. We're making the visible church, you know, the church visible to, to itself. The church that is, listen, saved by grace, loved by God, purchased by God, redeemed by God. We look around and we, we see people that we know. We, I, I see people who faithfully serve. I, I see Kristen Miriam back there who I love deeply. I see Drew and Chelsea back there. I think of those on the weekend like Jarell and Stella who so overwhelmed and over, just overjoyed with just the love of God. I see people like Maria here tonight worshiping the Lord and yet grieving the loss of her mom and we love her. And I think of others who are Tim being discipled by Kurt. I think of all these people and all that is happening. And that's what happens when the church comes together. I see people, we see people that we love and care about. We see people who've been saved by God's grace, just like you and I have been. There's another thing that happens when we gather. Not only do we make the church visible to itself, to one another, but uh, we also make the church visible to the invisible. What I mean by that is that 
and, and what I want us to do is sometimes we're so natural, we need to get a little more supernatural, spiritual perspective. Ephesians 3.10 says this, his intent, Jesus, uh, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. How is that possible? What happens? And, and Peter talks about the angels desire to look on into salvation. So tonight, there's an invisible world that we do not physically see, but they look on when the church gathers. They look on and understand the wisdom of God, the justice and grace of God the patience and the kindness of God. When we gather, it's not just one another. It's not just the Lord, but there's a whole, uh, the, the Bible tells us the heavenly realms look on and are learning and are marveling and in, in, in response are worshiping God at what God has done in our lives and what he's doing in his church. Right now, that's what's happening. In this very room, in your living rooms as the church is gathered, there's angels. That's what it says here. Authorities in heavenly realms are looking on. They're learning. That's powerful. And what I'm saying for us is sometimes we just kind of get trapped and get caught up in living a very, you know, Western mindset, natural, what I can see, taste, touch, and smell, and that's it. And like, no, there's so much more. And so when we gather together, there's powerful things that happen. And lastly, the Bible reveals to us, it teaches, teaches us, and many of us experience the power that happens when we gather together. When people come together to worship, God delights unusually, uniquely to pour out his presence amongst his assembled people, his chosen people. At the dedication of the temple in 2 Chronicles 7, when the people saying he is good, he is good, and his love endures forever, the glory of God was manifest. In the upper room as his people were assembled in one mind, one heart, and one accord, praying and asking God for the gift from the Father, the Holy Spirit, God showed up. I'll close with this quote. It's from a Puritan pastor, David Clarkson. He says this, the Lord engages himself to let forth, as it were, a stream of his comfortable, quickening presence to every particular person that fears him. But when, when many of these particulars join together to worship God, then these several streams are united and meet in one. He says this, and I love this part, so that the presence of God, which is enjoyed in private, is but a stream and in public becomes a river, a river that makes glad the city of God. Can I get an amen to that? Guys, that's what happens when the church of God gathers together. We are streams. And listen, God, he meets us in our prayer closets. God is always with us. We know that. We take comfort in that. He will never leave us or forsake us. But something happens when the church gets together. That's why David would say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Are there going to be times you don't feel like it? Yeah. But get over it and come anyway. <laughs> I don't think I've ever quoted Beth more in my life. So here's the first time I, I saw this tweet. She says, no, I don't always feel like going and something uh, monumental doesn't happen every time I go. She says, still, I am blessed and built up in the spirit enough to tackle another vicious Monday morning. <laughs> and that's what happens. Every time we go, we leave filled up, spoken to, encouraged, and edified. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.